and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, in our retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Ahoy, ahoy. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 4, Episode 6, which is titled Ground Zero. The episode aired on November 6th, 1997. Lauren, what was going on that week 24 years ago? Anton LaVey, who famously founded the Church of Satan in 1966, dies at the age of 67, just before Halloween. Hail Satan. James Cameron's mega-hit Titanic, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, makes its debut at the Tokyo International Film Festival. The film won't hit American shores until December 19th. Hope you're ready to hear that most of next year in the box office slot. That's, That's so... I, I thought for sure that this movie was out already. Like I, It's very nope. weird to me that Titanic doesn't come out until two weeks before the end of 97. I, yeah. I unironically love Titanic. No, it's a great movie. Yeah, I watched. I went back and watched it a few months ago. For some reason, I was like pandemic boredom, and like I was like, sure, I have four hours to spare. Why not watch fucking Titanic? And <laughs> there is a surprising, like surprising lack of filler in such a long movie. Which is yeah. so, like, which is so weird because you're notorious for hating long movies. Yeah, I really, I genuinely, generally don't like long movies. Um, but I was really shocked as I went through it. I was like, no, this actually flows really, really well. Yeah, you can. No, if you're. Sorry, go ahead. Lauren. I was gonna say you can say Lord of the Rings and watch it. Daniel's eyes just glaze over for <laughs> like a week. Dale, what are your thoughts on the Snyder Cut? Uh, it should burn. Uh, <laughs> it should burn in a dumpster deep, deep underground. Yeah, our 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 group chat was enough for the Snyder Cut. I don't. Need but to I will give I will it. give my thoughts about that at some point. I'm sure when we talk about that on a lounge episode. Yep. No, but if you're actually but going back to Titanic, if you're actually looking for a really good breakdown of it. Uh, YouTuber Lindsay Ellis does a fantastic breakdown of the movie. About an, take, it's about an hour-long video she does on it. And basically, the point is that, yes, it is actually still a great movie. But All right. Still. Uh, back in America, though, the horror continues as I Know What You Did Last Summer concludes its three-week run at number one on the box office. And Candle in the Wind 1997 slash Something About the Way You Look Tonight by Elton John continues its run atop the music charts. And for what else was on TV that evening, at 8 p.m., Friends had the episode The One with the Dirty Girl. At 8.30 p.m., Union Square had the episode Harassed. At 9 p.m., Seinfeld checked in with the episode The Merv Griffin Show. And at 9.30, Veronica's Closet with the episode Veronica's Best Buddy. This week's episode had 32 million viewers tuning in, up about 3 million-ish from last week's episode. They recouped the ones they had lost uh, post-premiere. This week's episode is directed by first-time director Darnell Martin. Uh, She directed, this is her first of two episodes that she'll do uh, in total, both this season. Um, Other things that she directed included films I Like It Like That, Cadillac Records, and she was a longtime director on Law & Order Criminal Intent. And this week's episode is written by Samantha Howard Corbin, doing her fourth out of seven episodes. Previous ones of hers we've talked about included Calling Dr. Hathaway and Homeless for the Holidays. And our previously on ER is brought in by Jeannie this episode. And we open with Al plopping down on the bed to wake Jeannie up. And, you know, it's still no luck in finding a new work crew in Chicago, so he's still out of the job. But his friend down in Atlanta may have work for Al after the company grew from Olympics work. So he may be down. He may have some opportunities down there to help building structures for the Olympics. And he notes that it would be a great chance for a fresh start. Jeannie says, oh, you know, that sounds great, but we can't just start over. We have a mortgage and I have a job. 
Al just says, my life is over up here, but in Atlanta, we wouldn't have to tell anybody. No one would have to know. A solid plan, I guess. But if you're still planning on working construction, there's still a greater than zero chance that you're going to get involved in another accident and right. run into the same problem. But yep. keep telling yourself that, Al. That's a that's a later Al problem. That's not a now Al problem. <laughs> that's true. Uh, but then we go actually to the ER. Doug is walking in and t- talking to Carol at admit. She's trying to find out the year. She's trying to estimate the yearly patient load of the entire ER. Again, I guess it's a lot <laughs> for her grant proposal to to the Carter Family Foundation that she's presenting that the, that evening um mark is also coming in uh the law the the law family malpractice suit has been settled and then mark is going to go on vacation for three days and i want to note here mark and carol have a really interesting like conversation about like oh how many patients do you think we have and mark says something like well are you counting turkeys like as in the bs patients that we actually don't count and it's like no mark everybody who comes through that door is your responsibility quit being a shithead yeah. Just in just in case you were concerned he would miss an opportunity to be a shithead uh, as a, as has been uh, the pattern for him lately. He does not. He takes that opportunity full full on. Uh, but we get a first patient of the episode, a man coming in calling for a doctor. We don't get exactly the full context of this. We'll get it in just a few minutes. Uh, we see Carter knocking on the door for Anna in her apartment building when suddenly she comes running down the stairs in wet hair and a robe. Uh, He thinks that he wrote her address down wrong, but she actually lives in a studio apartment with a shared shower with the rest of the building. So Carter, again, his tour of poor people, poor people living is uh, continuing. Uh, Am I wrong in thinking that like this isn't a thing really anymore? I mean, I've I've never heard of that outside of like dorm living. Yeah, right. I'm sure it is in some neighborhoods if you're in like really discounted yeah buildings but i'm i think it's probably becoming less and less prevalent that's probably some of my white privilege showing a little bit probably yeah uh carter's still commiserating with her about how little they get paid still cosplaying as a poor uh says he likes his pop tarts cold and you know but honestly though if he's being honest i don't think carter's ever had a pop tart (laughs) as he's going to get the pop tarts he notices a huge cockroach crawling on the cupboard which uh, anna comes over and slams her shoe down on and it makes a very crunchy noise and a very gross smear across the the cabinet real real gross uh and then we go in with some more bangs so we are what now six for six on bang well five for six because the live episode didn't have an intro but uh in with more bangs this episode come out of the intro with mark and doug working on the trauma from the guy that was brought in uh just before carter and anna met up uh we want to note lauren whose films are those very uh pertinent question uh no no time for this gentleman certainly to get x-rays so uh he was shot in the knee instead of between the legs they were doing a retelling of william tell and uh i believe i'm trying to remember it's it's either mark or doug i can't remember which one it's doug yeah, Doug says, sir, you have a bullet hole in your leg. Now take the drugs. Because, <laughs> yeah, the guy's like, oh, I'm a performance artist. Maybe I can, like, document this for some of my work. And Doug's yeah. like, nah, fam. Still trying to salvage it. Um, and our patient here is one of many. And I, when I say many, I mean many. Oh, hey, it's that guy's in this episode. This episode is like, oh, hey, it's that guy, The Ride. Uh, our first one here, the patient, is played by actor Taylor Negron, who you may recognize from films like The Last Boy Scout, Biodome, and Angels in the Outfield, among many other things. He had 131 credits to his name. Uh, never like a starring like role type guy, but definitely a super recognizable face. I guarantee you've seen this guy in something. Um, and unfortunately, uh, we did lose him back in 2015 to cancer. Mm. Oh, 
fuck cancer. Uh, but then after that, uh, we go up to the surgical floor and we get another Hicks mention. Three episodes in a row now. Yeah. Like, CCH Pounder, come back into our lives, please. <laughs> we miss you. We miss you so much. Uh, but yeah, Benton mentions, mentions Hicks again because she changed surgery times. So Corday covered the surgery that Benton was going to do at 8 a.m. because it got changed to 6 a.m. And she thought, you know, because he has Reese, that he needed time to, you know, get up and go and make sure everything's all good with his family. And he wouldn't be able to run in that early when Hicks moved the procedure. And Ben gets all pissy about it. Yup. I don't just, uh, Benton this episode befuddles me. It's because we're getting back to competitive, uh, kind of territorial Benton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this is like, like really bad. I know. It's, it's, it's really bad, this episode. He backslides quite a bit here. A little bit. No, like Benton, you're better than this baby. Little you bit. just had a baby. You're better than this. <laughs> He's a tired pop pop. And would residents really, uh, listeners or someone, please <laughs> tell me, would residents really be competing for procedures this much? I mean, that, that's what the guise of the whole thing seems like. That was definitely a thing with Carter and um, Chen in season one. Like they were definitely yeah, but they're me- they were medical students. True. I'm talking about like Benton's like a full on resident. Yeah, like, that's true. Suit, like you know, on his way to, well on his way to being att- being an attending. Yeah, it, it probably if I had to guess, I would say it's probably an attempt by the writers to manufacture some drama between him and Corday. Uh, but it, it's entirely possible that that's a, a thing that happens amongst residents. I'm not sure. And I think it's also knowing what we know about Benton and how much he could, he's worried about his image in the surgical um, department. I think he's a little concerned and a little paranoid that, you know, because he's got this kid now and because he had missed so much time, mm-hmm. you know, with the NICU stuff and watching out for Reese there that all of a sudden now that he's quote unquote like back to work right. and he's supposed to be at full capacity, which I think is something Anspaugh mentions this episode or the episode before mm-hmm. that he's like, shit i'm missing my chances right and he's focusing on that instead of wow how great that elizabeth offered to help me out and did this so i can spend more time with my kid in the morning he's probably more concerned on how it looks to Anspa and everything else yeah that's my take on it knowing baby benton for what we know him as then we go to the admit desk and cynthia is reading off a message al left for Jeannie of all the great things in atlanta to try and like be romantic and sweep her off her feet and persuade her that it's the right choice. And she's like, oh, you know, he sounds like a real romantic. Don't you like to be swept off your feet? Mind your own fucking business, Cynthia. You don't know what's going on here. Shut up. I mean, honestly, I'd move to Atlanta just for the barbecue. That's like some of the best barbecue I've ever had in my life that's, was when we were in Atlanta. That's Atlanta's, fair. Atlanta's a pretty cool city. I can't lie. But then we have Anspa and Carrie are discussing budget issues and... Anspa says, explain the ER's massive deficit. So he is sending her to a conference. And then the cops are taking... Oh my god, okay. So the guy who got shot in the leg earlier came in with the gentleman who shot him for the piece they were doing. The cops take the guy who shot him away for questioning. And he's like, no, he's my he's my teacher, he's my boss. You know, he told me to do it. And you just see them dragging him off to be questioned. And it's just like, oh my god, what is happening? Uh, and then Carrie's talking with Mark to cover her for a few hours while she goes goes and does the management budgeting conference. Uh, she still needs to shave off $98,000 off of the budget, which I don't know exactly. They don't really give us like a percentage, like what percent of the budget this is. 
was kind of hard to contextualize, but like yeah. knowing what we know, that's it. It basically kind of boils down to about two salaries is what she has to cut, mm-hmm. um, which we'll learn more about as the episode goes on. But she doesn't know what, what or who to lose in her words. And good shot of Carrie alone in the hallway as Mark walks away because he's just like, yeah, whatever. Yep, he's still on his yeah whatever type of whatever <laughs> man the next patient we have is matthew linderloader i think it was really hard for me to catch this patient's name as they were um bringing him in but he was doing some weightlifting and he dropped a free weight bar on his head ow ow um and as Jeannie is getting ready to examine him with lydia she notices that he has a clan tattoo on his chest and like when when Jeannie gets to this and like almost touches it, she backs up like she got burned. Like she she yes. physically is like repulsed by this tattoo. Understandably, but just very good um body language acting on Gloria Rubin's part for sure. He's mm-hmm. unconscious right now, so we'll come back to him a little bit later. But interesting patient for Jeannie this episode. Oh boy. Oh god. <laughs> Sorry. Speaking of interesting patients. Yeah, speaking, speaking of interesting patients, I knew Laura would have tons to say about this one. So we have our next patient coming in, uh, Danny, a seizing prisoner, uh, seizing in air quotes to begin with. Uh, the cellmate called for, you know, paramedics, whatever, an hour ago. Uh, it looks like he stopped seizing just as they pulled in. He has no history of epilepsy. Doug is the one examining him. They're going to get a head CT and a talk screen on him, and he's got quote textbook seizure uh symptoms which doug as they're leaving the room says to carol maybe a little too textbook and thinks that maybe the guy is faking it uh but as just as they're having that little sidebar conversation as they're leaving the cop comes out of the room uh to grab doug and carol saying that the uh, kid is seizing again so they run off to uh check on him and uh danny here is another kind of oh hey it's that guy um james DeBello is the actor's name and he was kind of a staple background actor of late 90s early aughts uh, teen comedy movies um cabin fever american pie and one of uh popular court co-host jake terrell and i's uh problematic faves from the late 90s detroit rock city uh he was all over those movies like you would always see him in but he always like he's he's kind of a chameleon type actor uh, type actor like he's always in like a wig or something so he never looks exactly the same from one movie to the next um going back to our problematic patient matthew linderloader genie um actually pulls carter aside and asks him if he will evaluate this patient because she doesn't feel comfortable and mark overhears this and it gives her shit for it and is like if we waited to treat every patient we were comfortable with, there would be lines out the door. We have to treat whoever comes in. And just being completely tone deaf to Jeannie's concerns and discomfort. It's like, I get it from Mark's perspective, but also read the fucking room, Mark. But that's something on if it's like more of an ethical thing, like I don't want to treat sex workers or I don't want to treat, you know, black people. That's one thing. But when you're saying, I don't want to treat somebody who likely has participated in hate crimes against my group of people, like maybe, yeah, maybe wants me to die. Yeah, maybe right. You get in there break, and treat Mark. that man who wants you dead. Yeah, yeah. Maybe give her a break, Mark. Maybe this isn't the line to draw. Go back to the, the air quotes, seizing patient. Uh, Doug is examining Danny further with Carol and he begins air quotes, seasoning, seasoning, seizing <laughs> again. And uh, obviously, to Doug and Carol, they su- they suss this out as just being totally fake. 
and they're talking about some experimental treatment to put him into a coma to stop the seizing. You know, complete bullshit. And uh, he comes right out of it with the, with the BS. Where am I? Uh. I was. And Lauren, how do you feel about this? I was so mad, and it makes me reevaluate all of the seizures we've seen in the show up to this point <laughs> because, like, this guy is acting so well to make it clear he's faking that, like, mm-hmm. it makes all the other ones look like tens. <laughs> But, oh, it just, like, it was one of those where I didn't even feel emotionally, like, worried about him watching him fake it, which is how good of a fake seizure he was doing. Whereas any of the others in the show, I'm always like, ugh, ugh, can we not? Like, so, question for you. Answer for you. Since you're a little Miss Epilepsy expert, generally how long would it take someone to kind of come to as much as he did? afterwards well like like what's the general like post-ictal timeline so anything over so i'm gonna start by saying seizure timeline anything over five minutes of an actual seizure activity you call the hospital so the fact that they didn't say he'd been seizing on and off for an hour that's theoretically way bigger of a deal than carol and doug are making it out to be Mm -hmm. um i want to start with that so if he was seizing for over an hour that would have been status epilepticus which is really dangerous and clearly he wasn't because, you know, they were evaluating that. But I want to start with that. Two, if he had stopped seizing, it would take, I mean, and you've seen me come out of a seizure. You know that even though I yeah. quote unquote came out of it after I stopped seizing within like five minutes, it was probably closer to 30 before I felt like competent. Mm-hmm. Like I can talk. Yeah, that sounds about right. I can talk and like get up and stuff after five minutes but it's not until like 30 minutes later that i'm feeling like out of the fog yeah but i'm more like wondering like someone like like your like someone like your sister see she doesn't really have um grand malls like i do okay so hers are more if she's having absence seizures hi aaron if she's having absence seizures it's more they last five to thirty seconds and then she's out of them like, she might gotcha. be a little confused for a second because she just lost 30 seconds. Gotcha. But it's not like the grand malls or complex partials where it's more of your brain going. So it takes a little longer for those neurons to calm down. So all this education just to say, this guy's bullshit. And I hate it, and it made and me they, so mad. And it shouldn't have taken them this long to suss it out as bullshit. Like, it, it's particularly bad bullshit. Yeah. Especially when he goes, where am I? The minute he like sits up after they, sh- it, like it would have taken at least like a minute for those drugs to take effect if it was like Ativan. Mm. So I, mm, so mad. What happens next though? Sorry. Um, so Anna is talking to her patient Vinny and lets him know he has gonorrhea. This was an oh hey it's that guy and I couldn't place him. Daniel, we'll get to this in a second, but. <laughs> It turns out that he has a history of being in and out of the ER for STD treatments, and he also is sleazy telling her that he works in the entertainment industry and that she'd be great. And he's got, like, this, like, velvet suede suit on and just really gross hair and just, ugh. Mm. Just just nice little nice little E-tier throwaway side patient just for the yeah. walls. He's the actor has a kind of history of playing sleazeball characters yeah. and he's very good at it. Uh, Mr. LaFontaine here, Vinny, uh, is played by actor Richard Edson, who appeared in a bunch of different stuff. Um, what I recognized him from immediately was Ferris Bueller's Day yeah. Off. 
Yep. He's uh, one of the guys, one of the parking attendants who uh, makes off with Cameron's dad's car and takes it for a joyride. Very memorable little little role there. But he also appeared in uh, Do the Right Thing, as well as uh, what is canonically in our wheelhouse as something we could do a movie review of at some point because of future ER cast member John Leguizamo, uh, Super Mario Brothers. Wait, okay. <laughs> true. A dumb question. Who was John Leguizamo in Super Mario Brothers? He was Luigi. Luigi. No. Yeah, yeah he was Luigi. Okay, I've seen that movie like once when I was It's four, terrible. So. It's one oh, of the gonna, worst movies gonna... ever. I'm putting that on the list for us to do was he, movie reviews of because that movie is so bad that it's good. Was he on ER long enough for him to warrant a movie review Yeah, spot? sure. Of course. Yeah. He was on for like half a season. Yeah, was, okay. Yeah. I, I was, I, it is decided. He, it's on the list see, because that movie I, is so bad it has to be seen to be I appreciated. See, I see John Leguizamo and I think Moulin Rouge. Yeah, and this was this was definitely it might have even been his first role. I'm not mm. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but he's he's a baby in it. Like he's very very young. So it's there's so much. Oh God, there's we not have enough options. time. Yeah, there's not enough time to go into it here. But Super Mario Brothers, Mr. LaFontaine here, Richard Edson, go check it out. So then Carol mentions the clinic proposal to Carter, and she's like, "Oh my God, I'm still getting this ready," and blah blah blah. And he immediately goes, "Oh geez, that's tonight." totally forgot and he was like oh i had plans with anna but um let me see what i can do because you know i need to be here for you for this so we'll see what what happens with that but it sounds like carter's gonna change his plans to back carol up and i just quick looked it up his first acting role uh mr john leguizamo's first acting role was in 1985 oh wow wow so that would have been in the, in, almost a whole decade because i think super mario yeah. brothers was what 93 or 4 uh, was 1993, yes, and it was yeah. But then he didn't have another role until 1989. Um, but yeah, 1985, a movie called Mixed Blood, hmm. and it looks like his biggest movie before uh, Super Mario Brothers was Die Hard 2. All I right. just watched. I watched. I just watched Die Hard 2 over Christmas, and now I'm trying to remember who he is in that movie. It's a character named Burke. I've never seen it. So it's an, all I remember about it was that it was not as good as Die Hard One. So. <laughs> Well, Die Hard 1's a, a classic Christmas movie, so yeah, of course yeah. it wouldn't be. I have never seen a Die Hard. <laughs> I'm making you watch that when you get back. <laughs> what happens next? Oh, what happens next is that uh, Mark is examining a guy, and he gets served. Again! Yeah, again. This time, and he gets super pissed off, like he would. Why could the guy just not just come up to him? Why does he have to impersonate a patient? I'm assuming um, because Mark generally... Um, stays in areas that are patient only type areas and fair enough so he probably wouldn't like he can't just walk up to the desk and be like hey can i go find mark green and hand him this envelope they're not gonna let him do that so fair enough okay but yeah and mark gets all pissed off he's like impersonated a patient that's gotta be illegal and uh turns out the kenny law's family is uh uh get suing via a civil suit not for malpractice and they're suing mark directly Where's Jake when we need him? <laughs> yes. I'm sure Jake has big thoughts on this. I know. We should have asked him before this episode. Shit. I'm sure in that marathon of season four thoughts, I'm sure he, he told us what he thought about it, and we just don't remember. But uh, we go from there to Carrie at the manager budget meeting. Uh, we get an introduction of a new character here, a new semi-recurring character, uh, Dr. Ellis West. 
uh, played by actor Clancy Brown, who has one of the more eclectic and prolific filmographies of anybody we've had on the show to date. He has 298 credits to his name, including a lot of voice work. So even if you haven't yes. seen him in something, guarantee you've heard his voice. Um, he was in stuff like Shawshank Redemption, Starship Troopers, Thor Ragnarok, among many other things, making his first out of seven appearances. Yeah, Lizzie, thank you for making the face that I've been making for the past three minutes as I read that. <laughs> Who the hell was he in Thor Ragnarok? Uh, you're going to make me look up a character name. But I know him, I know him most from Starship Who Troopers, which Starship is one of my Troopers? favorite movies of all time. He's the drill sergeant. Zim. No. He's the drill sergeant at the, yeah, who tra- was training, uh, who's training Rico and, uh, and obviously Isn't this, his, is, them. Is, and then gets, and then when they go to war, he wants, he wants to go fight. So he has to get busted down to private. And then he eventually captures the brain bug. Isn't this our third Starship Troopers actor? We've had a lot of, them. uh, we clearly, yeah, we clearly need to watch this <laughs> Starship Troopers for just for this, uh, for th- and because especially because he's a recurring character, semi recurring, first of seven, first of seven yeah, uh, yeah, so he's in it more than Wild Willie. For Thor Ragnarok, uh, he played it uh, Surtur, S U R T U R. Oh, he voiced he voiced. Um, it was probably a voice. The, it was the giant the giant flame monster. Oh, uh, sir- the, yes, the it does it does say voice. So yes, he was yeah. So there you go. That was who he was. Sweet. But yeah, guarantee if you haven't seen his face in something other than ER, you've probably heard his voice. So, um, it's, and it's a very recognizable voice. Uh, very, he has a very. I don't. I don't. How would you describe this voice? Like I didn't. Uh, sonorous. Sonor- sonorous. Yeah. I can never say it right, but very, very soothing and slow and measured. Yeah, but at the same time, like he's he's one of the most distinctive voices you'll ever hear in your entire life. That's that's basically the pretty much. Of this. Yeah, but uh, he looks like a discount Triple H. <laughs> I, I don't get that, but I I think like, it's the nose. Yeah, I, don't I get think it's either. the nose. Would you like to show your work? Like, <laughs> I I will draw you a diagram. Um, I will I will get into photo editing just to put the two of them next to each other and show you my perfect thoughts. perfect. Uh, but the company that he's representing is, of course, called something as sleazy and like new agey as Synergix. Like nothing says you're about to get fucked over, like a company called Synergix. Um, so Carrie's, of course, the you know teacher's pet type student asking all the great questions, and the guy does the textbook dance around specific answers, and uh, essentially asks her out to dinner in front of the entire crowd here. Uh, Awkward. She, but she does not immediately like turn turn her nose up at that like you can tell she's kind of into it so we'll see where this goes and then we have corday with romano and they are reviewing the gentleman who was shot in the leg they're reviewing his films and rocket notes that this guy is perfect for corday's research study about i think it's like implementing dead bone tissue into living candidates or something it was hard for me to catch exactly what it was but he was like yeah you know this guy will be great we'll we'll get him on the table for you to work on and you can document it and she's like oh my gosh thank you like it looks like christmas came early and after that we have our first audio of the episode uh you know doug is actually wants to help mark he's got an attorney recommendation for mark so let's see what mark has to say about that <laughs> i was just talking to a guy named ivan sheldon you remember him Night court judge from Evanston with a six handicap. Right. Well, I told him what was up. He gave me the name of a good attorney, the guy who defended the civil rights case against the, the Callenbach Meat Packing Company a few years back. So now you're discussing my legal problems with your golfing buddies? Sheldon, he's a judge. I didn't ask you to get into my business or save my ass or whatever it is you're trying to do. I thought I was doing as being your friend, which is getting tougher and tougher to do these days. Yeah. Mark, well, that environmental allergy woman is waiting for you in curtain two. 
And why is that? You've been in a bad mood for months, and I don't know how to talk to you anymore. Then don't. Okay. What's the statute of limitations on post-traumatic stress? Cut him some slack. I think we've all cut him plenty. He needs some help. Doesn't need a shrink. He needs friends who are supportive. <sighs> He's not going to have any friends supportive or otherwise if he keeps us up. Holy shit. Way, way to go, Doug, for standing up for yourself and for just putting your foot down that, like, hey, you're being shitty. We can't talk to you. Oh, Mark. What are we going to do with you? We're not. Don't know. I don't know what we're going to do with him. We're not. Can disown him as a character. He's off the show. <laughs> Bye. Kicking him off five years early. Yep. Sorry. Yeah, and I love how Carol's like, he's just not going to have any friends. Yeah. Yeah. Carol's like, fuck the bro code. I'm done with this asshole. Yeah. For lack of a better term, KKK guy needs sutures. Jesus. And Lydia's like talking to Jeannie. He's like, you know, he's actually really polite. You know, maybe it won't be that bad. He actually seems pretty nice. And this kind of reminds me of um, the thing where, you know, you say someone was shitty to you, like abusive or whatever, and your friends mm. are like, oh, he didn't seem that bad. Mm-hmm. Like, just because he was nice to you doesn't mean he's not a shitbag. Yeah. And Jeannie goes in and he looks a little uncomfortable and he asks if the nurse can do the sutures instead of Jeannie. And Jeannie's like, nope, I'm here. You know, I'm, I'm going to do this. And she starts working on it. And the guy goes, oh, I got to hand it to you people. And she's like, you people? He says, you know, oh, paramedics, nurses, etc. the hours you work and how hard you all work. Like, it's really impressive. And he then asks if she's been saved. And she's like, well, what does that tattoo have to do with the Lord? And it turns out that he's born again and he has moved away from the KKK and the intolerance that it represents. So, yay, I guess? Mm. Nah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we don't need to touch on that. Color that. me skeptical. Just, yeah. Yeah. Who plays him, though? Yeah, he's played by another another semi-Ohei attack guy. Slightly less recognizable than the other ones we've had so far, but no less prolific. Uh, Patrick Kilpatrick. Uh, who appeared in stuff like Minority Report, Last Man Standing, and Eraser. Among many other things, he has 159 credits to his name. See, now I ne- we keep mentioning some of my favorite movies tonight, and now I got to think who the, who's he in Minority Report? <laughs> Jesus, couldn't couldn't tell you. It's a that is a gap. <sighs> that that's movie. a gap in my Tom Cruise filmography. I actually really enjoyed it when we finally watched it. It was pretty good. Such a fucking good movie. A filmography, I should point out, that has gaping holes in it because I've probably seen like two Tom Cruise movies in my entire life. Fair. But then Carrie and Dr. West are talking and he's hitting on her further. And he mentions that, you know, he appreciates a confident and attractive woman when she's asking him hard pressing questions. Just he's a very smooth talker. Yeah, but at the same time, though, I'd like to think that this is the guy that made Carrie realize that she's gay. Like, <laughs> like, I, oh, I'd like to think that this is the guy that she was like, you know what? I'm good. Like, I think I've seen enough. <laughs> it's not for another couple seasons. Doesn't she, I, I think there isn't there a couple more. I'm men? sure there, at least I, one more. I'm sure there are. But I would just like I said, from a philosophical standpoint, I would like to think that this sleazebag would be the one that would be like, you know what? I've seen enough here. I'm good. Because that's how I mean, it maybe works. Maybe yeah, well, exactly. I mean, my my implication is that she was gay from birth and that she right. just needed to evaluate the situation for herself. And that this, this was the guy, this was the, this was the yeah, this was the turning. key that was like, you know what? I think I'm gay. This was, this is what kind of turned her light bulb moment. Exactly. 
Anyway, but uh, Carol is examining a woman wearing a mask. Like, and when we say a mask, we mean like a gas mask. Almost, yeah. Yeah, not like not like your mask, like you're like you should be wearing these days, <laughs> but but like a full on like filter mask. Yeah, filtered gas mask that you'd see in like a post in like that like someone like walking into a nuclear site would wear, and she's lysoling the air as people walk in and she's super paranoid about getting sick at the hospital and she's been here before for anxiety attacks and the woman is insisting that she's allergic to something in her apartment and Mark is like oh it's a turkey now but not not like externally says that he's still an asshole but but like Mark's like oh it's just another just another dumb asshole Um, oh you're just anxious and looking for attention Carol, tell Carol, get a blood gas, humor her, and call him with the results. <sighs> Great doctoring. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Mark's, Mark's a He's bitch. on a roll. I'm on a roll this episode. I want good Mark back. And who plays this woman? Yeah, we don't don't get a good look at her face here. You do a little bit later on. Um, and it's fine. You don't really need to see her face because she's had a few acting roles, but most like uh, smaller parts. Uh, but the thing she's most famous for, uh, Monica Parker is the actress's name here. And the uh, thing she's most famous for is she wrote the delightful animated film, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Aw. They do. Amen. Uh, we go from there up to the uh, surgical floor where we see Benton and Anspa working on a procedure together. And uh, Anspa gossiping as they work, telling Benton that he recommended him for Romano's surgical team. Ooh, more, more team swapping. Uh, True girl, you fancy. Benton, Benton uh, kind of begs off a little bit, says he wants to work with surgeons who impress him with their technical skills, not flaunt their technology. So he's a little hesitant to uh, embrace Romano's team here. We'll, we'll definitely... He's a surgical boomer. Sure, yeah, we'll Don't go pay. with that. <laughs> we'll go with that. Uh, we go quickly from there, though. We go back and uh, see Dr. West... Um, wants to talk to Carrie about her life story and experiences at County. And uh, she's kind of bemusing about her current situation. She's worried about having to potentially fire a friend. She was advised to fire several PAs. So that obviously we're the hint is here that we're talking about Jeannie. Um, And so he's going to give her some tips on how to maybe cut down on some of these cutbacks and make it hurt a little less. So we'll, we'll circle back with these two a little bit later. Uh, but we go back to Jeannie talking to Carol about the KKK guy. Wonders if people can change. The power of friendship. Sure. Um, but Cynthia, of course, jumps in saying she believes people can change because she's now working at a great job and not in the losers anymore. And yet, Mark. Yet she's yet <laughs> she's given back rubs to uh, disgruntled white and the anxiety. And we find out the anxiety woman has left AMA and uh mark and carol are having words about it and mark says it's not my job to be their best friend and carol immediately claps back with no just their caregiver i love how done with her with his uh shit she is this episode like she's no longer willing to coddle him she's just like get it together i adore carol in this episode yeah no she's she's on top of it yeah when well say when when one person sinks low another one has to go high (laughs) they can't all be happy all at once Nope. Just just like Lizzie and I in our apartment. Whenever one of us is really comfortable, the other one is miserable. There must be balance in the force. That's what I, what I always say. Yep. But then we find out the news is going to cover Romano and Elizabeth's procedure. 
and Anne's boss says to Benton, the future is now as he's wheeling out a patient. And why is the music note so heavy there before going to commercial? Like, it's really ominous and weird. And then they make it seem like Benton's life is going to com- be completely ruined by some new technology. Like, he's just going to be outmoded and left behind. He's just going to be out of a job. Like, yeah. nope, like, no, this machine is coming to replace specifically <laughs> Benton. Well, it's more just like he's not he's not willing to keep up. Yeah, I guess they're, again, I think they're still trying to drive home the sort of, they're, they're trying to generate, I guess, the conflict between Benton and Corday. But they're yeah. kind of doing it this side route with the technology angle. And it's just, it, it doesn't quite translate the way it should, but. You got to drive them apart before they make kissy faces at each other. I'm so here for the kissy faces. Um, Soon. And then an elderly gentleman is brought in because he collapsed and his wife found him in the bathroom. He'd been down maybe 10 or 15 minutes before she had called the paramedics. And while they're treating him, Carol pulls the wife out to wait in the hall at chairs because she can't be in there and be in the way. It's also worth noting here, this wife is hard of hearing, which will come into play very shortly. All right. And the, uh, the... What do we want to call this? Because it's not really a rivalry. It's just Ben being an asshole. <laughs> confrontation. So, yeah, the confrontation between Benton and Corday heats up a little bit as they gossip a little bit as they scrub in for different procedures. Let's listen to that. Beauty oh, man spot. He's late for a hot happy. I think he's doing a triple A. Oh, this can slog on. You got something juicy? Yeah, hernia repair. Mine's a hot appendix. Still, they can't all be newsworthy, eh? I don't like your osteochondral allograph this afternoon, huh? You intentionally sidelined me for that, didn't you? What? Handed me off to Anspa so you could be with Romano? <laughs> That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. He called me in to consult, not the other way round. Hmm. If you say so. No, it's not just what I say. That's the way it was. Do you know when Anspa started the AAA? An hour ago. My patient's prepped. I hate to get backed up. Yeah, you are busy today. Anspa wouldn't mind if I just started, would he? It's painting by numbers. I haven't seen him mine yet. Benton, you bitch. Whew, he was just a, little, little, just a little bit catty there. Just a little bit. What a bitch. I love how Corday's like, no, I said that because that's how it was. Dingus. I don't, I, Benton, god damn it. Man. He backslides hard in this one. We, he really does. I, I know. I am so excited when we, when we get to her seducing him. <laughs> I cannot wait. It's got a. Is that how that goes? Is that how that yeah. goes? Yeah. You get oh, a little, you little, little tiny, tiny touch of it in this episode. They yeah. have their argument a little yeah. later, and she like adjusts his tie while they're arguing. Yeah. But she like is peeling a hard boiled egg as she propositions him. It's really <laughs> fucking funny. <laughs> I can't wait. If I, I don't remember the, I don't remember the actual. No. I, I remember them make they make smoochy faces at each other for a little bit for a while. If but. if I recall correctly, yeah, she is like peeling hard boiled eggs and like offering him sex. <sighs> but what happens okay. next? So what happens next? We go. Uh, we see that anxiety woman has collapsed on the sidewalk outside in the ambulance bay. Uh, Lydia, Carter, and Anna get her and grab a gurney, removing her mask uh, while she's yelling that she told Mark that she's allergic. So great that's going great uh our older gentleman from earlier mr scarletti uh find out that he has advanced lung cancer and uh did not tell his wife so that's why she was a little bit confused by him coming in 
And uh, Mark Oops. says that he'll he'll take care of this. He'll talk to her. He'll talk to the little oh, old this lady. Is, this is gonna go this great, is... guys. I don't know why. I don't know about you, but I think this is gonna go great. That was peak NPR voice right there. Yeah, he's he's on top of it. Mark is on top of this one. Don't yeah. even, don't worry about it. It's fine. Mark Green's on the case. Uh, we see um, Carrie coming back from her conference. She has to talk to Mark about what she learned at her meeting. He kind of just blows her off. Uh, and there, one of two really good kind of cinematography tips here, like from here. Well, really, well, there was another one. There was a third one earlier. We talked about uh, that scene where, or that shot where Carrie's like standing alone in the hallway. There was that one. And there's this where we do this like kind of overwhelming camera spin as everyone's asking for help. And like you can just feel kind of how just how overwhelmed everybody is in this moment. Mm -hmm. Really, really good cinematography. And there's one more a little bit later coming up that we'll touch on. But good, good stuff here. But yeah, uh, Mark is still not in a good place. uh, And he's literally screaming because Miss Scarletti does not can't hear and does not understand him. It's like, oh, he's going to be fine thank you oh thank you whatever so he's literally screaming at this woman in the middle of the waiting room and of course right she says he's going to die everyone quiets down and is like bro what the fuck why are you screaming at this old woman about her husband dying yeah and mark is like ah shit and then runs outside and cynthia goes after him and like to doug's credit doug does try to like calm him down and pull him into the lounge. Yeah. But Mark just blows him off and runs outside. Jesus Christ. It's such a well done scene. Like, and especially when you talk about that, um, cinematography beat right before that Daniel was talking about, it bleeds so well into this. And it's just like, you can just see it mounting for Mark. Mm -hmm. From there, Corday tells Anspa that she performed the Appy alone with no complications. And Anspa Peak Anspa goes, the complication is that you disregarded hospital policy. Uh, He notes that she's been there several months, and he's like, have you ever seen a surgery done without an attending? And I'm really proud of Corday because she does not throw Benton under the bus for misleading her. She's just like, yep, sorry, I was mistaken, it won't happen again. She was like, yeah, we do this all the time in the UK. Yep. Like, we do minor 20-minute surgeries all the time by ourselves yep um yeah just very well done corday is made of steel you can see her getting a little choked up and embarrassed but she holds it together well and then carol is talking to doug about mark and just notes that he they can't do anything until he does something for himself first which i love and carol is on her way out to the fundraiser event and is stressing out um she needs she doesn't have anything to wear because she has to go right from work anna says she can borrow a jacket and while carol is trying the jacket on she spills the beans to anna on carter being loaded because she says she's headed to the carter family foundation for her pitch and anna's like carter family foundation and anna has that like john carter yeah and anna has that smile where you know someone is just seething with rage and like the wheels are turning in her head she's putting the pieces together it's like you just hear that noise like from kill bill <laughs> <laughs> uh uh but let's check in with uh mark and cynthia down by the river let's hear what they what their conversation sounds like it's like you can't breathe 
It's like there's something inside of my head that's like pushing to try and get out. And that every time I think I have things under control, it just goes south. I'm babbling. If you don't want to talk about it. A few months ago, I was attacked in the men's room in the ER by this gangbanger who blamed me because his brother died of a gunshot wound. Oh my God, that's the creep who's suing you? They settled the malpractice suit for $3 million, and now the bastard's suing me for violating his brother's civil rights. I mean, figure that one out. I can't believe it. He attacked me. I tried to fight back, but I... He could have had a gone or been on drugs or... I didn't even think about that. My adrenaline was pumping so hard. You're right. People on PCP, they... Could have killed you. Mark, you're so used to handling everyone else's problems that you're not used to asking for help. This will go good. Okay, but that last line that she says, I do really empathize with strongly. Sometimes it's really hard to ask for help. Yeah. It's a very insightful yeah. moment from a mess of a lady. <laughs> yeah. And then he kisses the mess of a lady. Which I didn't get that part because I know how much you all love kissy noises. Kissy We're learning. Noises. We're learning. <laughs> we, can, we, can, we can tell, don't show. Yeah, Lauren, what do you have in the notes here? Don't kiss the mess of a lady. Don't. Yeah. Don't kiss the mess of a lady. It's like the PG version of don't stick your dick in crazy. Which I think is a really shitty term. That's but. <laughs> very fair. It is. So that's, I'm going to change don't stick your dick in crazy to don't kiss the mess of a lady. That's what we're going to change. Al- it almost to. rhymes. It's very close. Almost. Yeah. Just don't do it. Don't mess with the mess. There you go. Don't. <laughs> Just ugh. No. This is a bad choice through and through. I mean, to be fair, she he doesn't know she's that much of a mess. Okay. We're going to learn. Was, was he in her interview? Yeah. But, okay. 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 I'll give you I'll give you that. But I'm just saying, like, in general, not, you could have just thought she had a, she had a bad not, day. People n- have bad days. I've had sh- really shitty interviews when I'm normally a pretty solid interview but, person. But not to mention the fact like, that even if she's not a complete mess, which she is, but even if she's not, it's still a power dynamic uh, imbalance. Oh, that... I'm not. I'm not trying to defend it. No, no, no yeah, I'm no. I'm, I'm just saying that there. Whatsoever. I'm just saying that there I'm are just... other extenuating circumstances beyond her hot messness yeah. that would preclude them from this being a good I mean, idea. I mean, it's a terrible idea on several levels. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with that fact. It's better than him uh, being with Chuni in that regard. True. That was a bad idea too. That was a bad yeah. idea too. But they were so cute together in retrospect. Pretty much the pretty much one of the like underlying like thesis of ER as a series and really any workplace drama slash comedy is people should date more outside of work. Like yeah. that's really what it boils down to because it rarely ends well. Right. That's the one thing. That's the one nice thing you can say about Al is that he doesn't work at the ER. Right. That's his one redeeming quality is he doesn't work <laughs> there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We found it. Oy, 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 oy. Um, I guess I just don't think about it so much just because we have so much intermingling between relationship wise between the staff that it's like, yeah, I guess there's a power dynamic. But then Abby marries Luca, Sam dates everyone. Doug and Carol. <laughs> Doug and Carol. Like, I don't even think about it. Any like at this point with this show. So I don't know. But uh, speaking of power dynamics, uh, let's go into our next audio here. Uh, Carrie. To have a talk with Jeannie in the lounge. Jeannie. Hi. 
Always save these horse pills till the end of the hardest to swallow. We should talk. Mm -hmm. I know, today has been insane. Any word from Mark? I've been in touch with Dr. Anspaugh about the ER budget. He's very concerned about our deficit. Uh -huh. I, I think the overages can be contained with structural changes if we aggressively pursue industrial contracts. <laughs> Carrie Weaver, what are you saying? I have to lay off some of the staff, including two PAs. The fairest way to do that is to give preference to those with seniority. Are you firing me? Jeannie, I'm sorry. I don't have a choice. You were the last one hired. Now listen, you can work through the end of the month. Cobra Insurance will cover your meds. I've, I've already talked to the people in physical therapy. They think they're going to have an opening coming up in the next couple of months. That's great, except it pays about a third less than what I'm making here. I want this to be short term. We're pursuing outside contracts, and when the new system is up and running, I'm hoping we can bring you back. So I'm just supposed to wait by the phone until that happens? Jeannie, you know I value you professionally and as a friend, and I'm going to do everything I can to work this out. No, Carrie, please don't go into any more trouble. The seniority argument is bullshit. It's very I mean, common, though. I know. It's very, very common. That's what happened. That's what happened to my dad and I, multiple I mean, times. Like, in between when he got fought, he got fired for bullshit reasons from his one job, and then before he found another stable, before he became a bus driver. I, I love your dad's <laughs> bus driver job. The seniority argument, from a managerial standpoint, makes sense to me. In that, you know, it's an easy way to give first come first serve treatment without having to make you know big merit conversations for people mm -hmm. but at the same time i feel like it's unfair to the people like genie who are so good at their jobs when there are people higher up who've been there five ten years that may be terrible right and and it's a it's a unique situation here too because they're having to cut from a position that outside of genie we don't really ever get to see Right. There, we don't know who she's up against. Like, we and we then, don't know who it is that is also a potential cut because Jeannie right. is the only PA they ever show us. Right. And the, and she says she has to cut two PAs. And it's like I remember when Jeannie was first brought on, the nurses were super threatened that the PAs were there. And it's like, okay, there's one. Right. So yeah, actually, that like, does that does bring up a good point though because Carol does make kind of a stink about the PAs joining. So that makes it seem like in like season three or season two. Oh, yeah, it's very early on. Yeah, so it, ma it makes it seem like Jeannie is joining the staff in like a new capacity, which would indicate to me that any PA would have come in at the same time as Jeannie. So is there really a seniority argument to be had here? Like. Because it seems like PA wasn't really a thing in this ER before Jeannie came along. So who is she? Who's got more seniority than she does? As far as position? cutting well, two PAs go, she was already established at the hospital in. Yeah, she was the physical therapy, which, which is another so nice maybe... continuity bit that that Carrie brings up that she is like, I can maybe get you back into physical therapy. Right. So that yeah. was cool. But I'm I'm saying there might be other people who are there longer. Who were also brought down at the same time mm -hmm. so maybe they've been there for if she's been there for five years they've been there for in, 10 years in the hospital as a whole not necessarily in the hospital in the as ER. a whole so yeah it just goes back to the whole you know the hospital hierarchy is very messy and ill-defined yeah. outside of the er but in it and in the er sometimes and in the er sometimes that's very true yeah what happens yeah, next uh, it, from there we go to uh carol and uh delamico showing up at the palatial carter home estate for carol's big meeting uh both of them 
just completely blown away by the house. Uh, and we are introduced uh, first to Gamma's butler, uh, who is a definite, oh, hey, it's that guy for us. Uh, looks a little different, but uh, Sean Taub is the actor's name. And uh, he appeared in stuff like the movie Crash, The Kite Runner, and helped Tony Stark create the Iron Man suit in uh, 2008's Iron Man. What was his character's name again? I always forget. Yinsen. Yinsen, <laughs> yes. Got he's he's uh got a very like very specifically 1997 haircut here like the haircut he is sporting here only makes sense in 1997 it would be it would look stupid in 1996 or any year after 1997 but i would i would not have recognized him if i hadn't seen the notes yeah it was but i knew like it really was his voice that tipped me off more than his face as soon as i heard his voice i was like oh that's the guy that does the thing in the cave with tony yeah that that guy yeah Jake and I admired his uh, his capacity to go from house servant to doctor in less in only just over ten years. It's an American dream. Yeah. Uh, so they're, as they're as he's uh, welcoming them in, uh, he asks if he can get them anything, and Anna asks for a beer. Maybe as a joke? Question mark. Just trying to lighten the lighten the mood a little bit. Uh, he's given them like a short tour around, and they show a painting of Carter on the wall riding a horse. I want this painting. Like, yes. I don't know who I would love to know who is in possession of this painting. <laughs> I, I will get this tattooed on my left thigh because my right thigh is already taken. It's the, I will get this tattooed on my, on my left leg. It is the most ridiculous painting because he's in like a, a suit jacket. Like he's in like full, like business attire sitting on this horse that is very small for his size. And I do want to point out here, continuity note, so Carter's horse was described back in season one when we found out Carter was rich. His horse was described back in season one as a, quote, white Icelandic pony named Marigold. And as they are showing, uh, as the butler is showing uh, Carol and Delamico the painting here, he mentions that this horse is his beloved horse, Marigold, but it looks very different. It is not a small white Icelandic pony. It is now a, a large, slightly larger brown horse. So. I want to point out maybe this is a snowball one, snowball two situation. Could be, could be, because he is he is a very <laughs> large adult male in the like this is yes. not Carter as a child. They just took Noel Wiley in 1997 and painted him. I'm I desperately hope he posed for this painting. I, really I want a universe where they made Noel Wiley get into a suit, at, like dress pants and a suit jacket, and sit on top of a horse for like six hours while they paint this painting. I really hope. I'm that telling happened. you. If we get Does it, if we get a thousand dollars a month in Patreon funds, I will make this tattoo happen. I'm telling you right now, if by some miracle we ever manage to get Noah Wiley on for an interview, that will be one of the questions: is Did they make you sit on top of a horse? In a, because that's the kind of thing you don't forget. You know, I don't care that it's been 25 years. If he had to sit on top of a horse in a suit and tie for six hours while they painted him, he'll remember that. And I want. And if anyone knows how to get a hold of Maria Bello or Juliana Margulies. So we can see because they were on the set. <laughs> see if they know who took it. Yeah, I, I must. That's oh, the other thing. Yeah. That's the other thing. I need to know who's in possession of this painting. <laughs> oh. Ay, ay, ay. But then what else? Oh happens? yeah. So then before the before the scene wraps up, I was thrown off by the horse. Uh, <laughs> Carter comes down the stairs, uh, comes bounding down the stairs like a boy on Christmas morning to say hi to Carol, and immediately stops in his tracks and is floored to see Delamico there too. So, oops. Retro. Oh, and then we have Lydia is at the admit desk and she's complaining about how hard the clerk job is because she's answering phones right now while Cynthia's out helping helping Mark. Um, and it, all of a sudden we find out Doug has a long distance call at the desk, which he takes. And as he is taking notes, 
on this call, his mood falls very fast, and it is something dire, but we do not know what yet. And Carter and Carol are talking to Gamma about the clinic, and Carter's just making all this small talk, trying to, like, ingratiate his friends to his grandma. And Grandma kicks Carter out just to talk to Carol. He's like, why don't you let me talk to the woman who's giving me this proposal? Go with your friend and show her the house. Get out, tiny boy. <laughs> Have awkward conversations. And yay, this is our first appearance of Gamma. Yes, Gamma. First appearance. First of 21 appearances through 2003 for Gamma. Uh, played by actress Frances Sternhagen, which, what? God, That's a that name. is a name. Uh, she has appeared in stuff like Misery, Outland, and The Mist, among many other things. And she is still with us at the ripe old age of 91. Good, Good for, for Gamma. Good for her. I want you to know that's at least two Stephen King movies, so I immediately love her. <laughs> well, I'm never watching Misery with it's you. It's so. so good. Nope. I never. know, but it's... Seen, seen the gif of the foot? That, that's all I need. It's so good. Anyway, uh, let's go into our next audio here before I get too much on too much of a rant. Um, Elizabeth is confronting Benton about the trick he pulled. Dr. Cordea, I'm changing. Shedding your skin, Dr. Snake. I beg your pardon. You knew full well I wasn't permitted to perform that appendectomy, but you let me walk right in there anyway. Ah, like you knew full well I should have been notified about that gastroplasty this morning, right? You were home, Peter. Hicks wanted to go straight away. Somebody needed to step in. Like you needed someone to step into the ischemic bowel so you can end up with Romano. How dare you accuse me of trying to manipulate you? I deserve better than that. Besides, if I'd really wanted to, you wouldn't even have been aware of it. I suppose I could have called you, but between your being at home and my not having done a gastroplasty... Look, Dr. Corday, you are not the only one who likes to cut. No, but if I'm the only one here, then I won't be ashamed of doing it. Well, then I'll have to make sure you're not in that position again. Why, thank you, Dr. Benton. Ah, Dr. Romano. Yeah. I'm sorry, do you have a minute? Absolutely. I was uh, wondering if you were still looking for uh, an extra set of hands. Would those be Benton hands? Yes. So, you're thinking you like the looks of the 21st century, is that it? He simply wants to keep an eye on me. Don't you, Dr. Benton? <laughs> Someone needs to. I'll give it some thought. We'll talk more. Also, he's so slick, slick with the... Somebody's got to. Right, yeah. like, he's he's yeah. so, like, outmatched to begin with. To begin with. I with know. Her. Like, it's so... She she can run circles around him. so much. Love her so much. So we go from there uh, back to the Carter home where we now see Carter and Delamico talking at the dining table. And you can quite literally see the distance growing between them uh, just from the cinematography uh, where she's kind of she's clearly upset with him for not being upfront with her about his family's financial situation. And, you know, she refers to him hanging out with her in the laundromat and things like that as, quote, a little slumming. Is that it? And I mean, it kind of is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and Carter's very defensive about it. Like, he's like, so what? My family has a few bucks and everything changes. And it's like, dude, you're in the middle of, like, a palace. Like, maybe a few yeah. bucks. I love how she's like, the fact that you think that this is a few bucks is part of the problem. Yeah, kind of says it all. But yeah, this is easily my favorite cinematography in all of ER so far. It's really good. 
It's really, yeah. really good. Also, it's just really weird because we're so used to seeing him in the ER to see him have a piece of jewelry. Like, he's playing with a ring on his pinky finger. Which is such a, that's such a, like, <laughs> shitty rich guy move. Yeah. Like, the pinky ring. I'm wondering if it's, like, a class ring or something. But, yeah, I just noticed it because you just see him fidgeting with it. And it's, like, it's just so odd because, you know, normally they can't have anything on their fingers, really, for mm-hmm. being in people. <laughs> Uh, but then we'll go into our last audio. Uh, Doug has some uh, has a problem, a personal problem. I mean, he also has a problem with Mark, but it's going to Mark for help. Mark, it's Doug. Hi. Huh. Cynthia, uh, I'm looking for Mark. Um, I think he might be asleep already, but I'll check. Who I, is oh. it? Come on in. Hey. Hi. What's going on? Uh, might be a bad time. Yeah, yeah like, uh, kind of. Um, well, I was just want to make sure you were okay. I'm fine. Because I know you've been going through a rough time. We're all a little worried about you. I'm okay. Okay. I'm going to be taking a few days off. I got a call from California. Uh, my dad died. What? What happened? No, I don't know, it was a car wreck or something. They weren't real clear on the details. Um, but I got to go claim the body and you know, stuff like that, so. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. All right, I'll, t- I'll talk to you later. No, no, hey, hey, come no, on. That's okay. No, no, come no, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Come on in, I'll make some coffee. Come on. I love the passive aggressive way he says my dad died. My dad died. No big deal. You keep having your bad day. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. be over here with my dead dad. It's so mm, it's so well done. And like I love that he's also like, Yeah, you got a girl in here. I don't really wanna fucking be doing this right now. Like I need my bro. Not just a girl. Right. But you know what I mean. You know what I mean? Like he but he's like he's just you got banana sandwich in here. I need like my best friend. The right way now. the way he says Cynthia too. He's like hmm, Cynthia. Cynthia. <laughs> like oh, this is. We both know how awkward this is. Well, and the funny thing is, is it's like Doug of all people should not be embarrassed by this, but it's because it's Cynthia. Well, right. Just, Up is, until has already called this out as like a bad idea. Well, yeah, but even last episode, like he was sort of like. He was both encouraging it and discouraging it. Like he was yeah. like, you, yeah, you can do, you know, what, what's going on with this one? And then, but he was also like, but you should have an exit strategy at the same time. So, yeah. 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 But, uh, so set up for the next episode. Yes. Hope you all like road trips. Yes. Nice, nice change of pace. Love me a good road trip episode. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to next week. It should be a very refreshing to episode to analyze. Yeah. And Clooney nails, just nails this performance. Mm. So good. Yeah. Gamma and Carol are chatting, just two ladies talking about stuff, and Gamma is so sassy, and I love her, and she's telling stories that are just a little blue and wonderful, and she's great, and she just goes, I like you, Carol. You remind me of me, and she's talking about the clinic, and um, she goes over and starts to write a check, and Carol's like, I haven't even given you the proposal yet, and she's like, nope, consider this a vote of confidence that you can get the clinic up and running, and gives her $75,000 to get the clinic started. Just a little startup money. Yes. Without even seeing the proposal. And I love how she's like, 
uh, how she's like, well, don't don't let John know it was this easy because I have an image to maintain. <laughs> I forgot how much I love her. Like the actress. She's so good. I really forgot how much I love her. And I love her mm-hmm. relationship with Carter too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we go starting to wrap up here with the wrap up the episode here. Uh, Jeannie gets home to a bunch of lighted candles. It's all very, very low key and romantic. And uh, Al wants to get the celebration rolling because he got a cheap ticket to Atlanta and he's going to go make some networking happen. And, uh, you know, Jeannie's all obviously very standoffish because she just got fired. Um, so not you've never been fired. It's a very special kind of not okay. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's, it, it's like you have bad days and then you have, then, then it really depends on your level of satisfaction with the job prior to the firing. But (laughs) or, or how much you identify your self worth with your worth at your job. True. Yeah. Yeah. But like if you, if you really, if you really (laughs) love the job and love the, place and everything it can it can be quite devastating if you really hate the job and it's sucking your very will to live there is a brief like day to a week's worth of like euphoria where you're like i got fired great like because you're free you're free but then after a week or so that wears off and then the existential dread creeps in i i had both of those within a day of each other when i got fired see i was just angry because they fired me before i could quit so. Yeah, that was my experience too. I was in I was at a job that I was so miserable at that I was like like it was when we were still in Alaska and so like I knew our time there was had an end point anyway. So I wasn't like yeah. I was just basically like and the money was really good too. That was the other thing. So it was like, all right, I just got to ride this. Like I this job, I hate this job. It's sucking my will to live. I have to give myself a pep talk in the parking lot every day to get out of the car and go to the office. But we're just going to ride this out. I just need to make it like, you know, we were leaving in like a year. So I was like, I just need to make it a year. And then after a few weeks, it became like, well, I'll just make it till the end of this calendar year because then we'll have to like get ready to move and stuff. You know, we'll, we'll, I'll need time to like set up so we can move. So I just have to make it to the end of the year. Then I, I had a, a vacation coming up and I was like, well, I'll make it to the end of this vacation, <laughs> you know? And then I went on the vacation and I was like, okay, you know, I, I recharged my batteries. I, you know, set myself up. I was like, all right, I, I'm going to go back in there. I'm going to finish out this year, you know, take their money and then walk out the door. And then it was like, I think three days after I came back from my vacation, they had me work an entire Saturday and then came in at four thirty on a Saturday to tell me that they could quote, no longer afford my position. And I was being let go. And I was like, are you fucking... I was more upset that they made me work an entire Saturday than I was that I was being laid off. I was like, fuck you, assholes. Like, you made me work an entire Saturday at a job that is literally sucking my will to live. And yeah, no, fuck that. Yeah, for the sake of not burning professional bridges and the fact that um, people at current and past jobs know about this show, I will just say, yeah, being fired was not fun. See, I am... I'm under no Same. such no such fear of reprisal from those people. I don't care. Fuck them. Yeah, but yeah. So she doesn't really. She we we don't see her tell Al what happened. And she was just like something. She's like something happened, and or something to that tune. I forget the exact wor- verbiage, but yeah. Poor Jeannie can't have anything good happen to her ever. No, nope. she had just dated Greg. It would have been fine. Yep. I don't know why that would have made a difference here, but if she had just dated Greg, <laughs> it would have been fine. Because then she would have been dating the Martian Manhunter. And the future so. president of the United States. Yeah. I don't think he 
Where does he play Martian Manhunter? Uh, in the Snyder Cut. Oh, okay. Great. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing it back. Yeah. It's full circle. Daniel, take us out. So we go from there. We see uh, Carrie and Dr. Ellis at the bar, and she's just con- kind of commiserating with him about having to fire Jeannie and how much it sucked. And he replies back charmingly, welcome to the wonderful world of management. Because that's the attitude you should have. Definitely become cold and callous and don't just don't feel your emotions. Just drink, drink away. That That's management, baby. Mark knows all about that. Yikes. Um, and then we have Carol is helping Doug pack his car up for the trip because he's leaving tonight and taking Mark with him, picking Mark up on the way to the airport. And he tells Carol he loves her before driving off. And then we hear Carol say after he's gone, I love you too. Is this the first time we hear them say I love yes. you? I think so. That's awesome. I love that. Yep. I love, I, spe- I especially love that uh, Doug does not get the satisfaction of hearing it said back to him right away. Like, yes, it's the first time that it's been said and it's the first time it's been reciprocated, but he doesn't know that because he drove away and she still reciprocates it. She still says it, but he doesn't get the satisfaction of hearing it and get the like emotional payoff. Like, yep. very well done. So how do we th- how do we feel about this one, gang? I like yeah, it. I really liked it. I think it's one of the more like, um, how can I put this? Like, it's definitely one of the more ambitiously uh, experimental shot thing, type, like cinematography type episodes. Like it it plays with the cinematography more so. It, it definitely breaks from formula in a lot of ways. It still retains the overall formula, but it kind of they do some interesting things with the cinematography in this in this episode that I really like. Um, it's not going to like knock your socks off as like an all time great episode. Um, but there are enough little moments in here that I think it, it makes for a really, really solid, like B minus B plus type episode. I think for this episode in particular, the pacing is really solid and they have the flow really well down to where, yeah, there may not be that many major story beats, but it's all done in a way to where like it flows nice. There's none of those weird whiplash moments. Mm -hmm. It just, it all goes together really, really well. And it makes it like, it goes down smooth. Yeah. Yeah. I have no real major issues with this one. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, like Daniel said, it's not going to knock your socks off. It's not going to be on a must watch episodes. That's going to be next week. If I if I recall correctly, it's gonna, we're getting one of the best episodes of the season. It's definitely one of the more. It, it, it's another. It's another one kind of like the live episode where it depends on if you like that kind of episode, um, because there are certain people okay. who really hate the road trip episodes because they do this a few times. They they do it they, they do it again yes, with Carter and Abby. I know for sure, and there might be one other one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, There's there is one other one. There's the one where they go looking for Sam, or where they go looking for Alex. Yes. That's kind yeah. of a road trip yeah. one. Yeah. That one's interspliced yeah. though. Next week is going to be pretty much focused yeah, on strictly Clooney and Ed- and yeah. Anthony Edwards. Yeah. So it's a very depends divisive. on how you feel about that style of episode. But I'm one who really loves that style of episode, particularly with this pairing, mm-hmm. because it's like you know a good Doug and Mark scene is a great thing, but a Doug and Mark episode, it's like yeah, injected into my veins. Like <laughs> and maybe maybe yeah. it'll get Mark's head out of his yes. ass. Hmm. hmm. Who knows? But yeah, no major issues. Solid B. What did uh, what did uh, Michelle K have to say about this episode, Lauren? So Michelle says this episode is the height of asshole bad Doctor Mark. His quote real patience versus turkeys rant to Carol was disgusting. As Lauren, I'm pretty sure it was Lauren. Sorry if it's not. Said, why do therapy when you can just be an asshole to everyone? That sounds like me. <laughs> um, 
And then he berates Jeannie for not feeling comfortable treating a guy with a clan tattoo. Ah, Synergix, the only good thing about you, Mr. I started in Pet Cemetery 2 with Anthony Edwards, is that it gets us Wild Willy back for an episode. In hindsight, germaphobe mask and Lysol lady was ahead of her time by a few decades. Oof. Very good points. Yeah, but and particularly the second one. We are very, very close to our next uh, Wild Willy reappearance. Uh, I believe Woo! four episodes from now is when he'll be be returning for a one-off. Woo! Very, very excited. Speaking of Starship Troopers. Yep. Ah, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today, folks. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash Podcast. For only a dollar a month, you get access to our show notes each week. And for only $5 a month, you get access to the full season recap episodes, a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. Also, once our stretch goals are met, you'll get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment, as well as monthly movie reviews where we watch a movie featuring an ER cast member and pick it apart. Starship Troopers. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music, as always, is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.youth, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Uh, I actually got nothing tonight, so instead I'm going to pimp also reminding people that we do have Setting the Tone logo stickers as well as asking to please rate and review us on itunes if you are enjoying our show because it helps us grow and continue to bring you amazing content drown out those naysayers the Uh, two the two that we've had (laughs) come on guys uh and you can find me on twitter i am at random gamer that's jam3r as well as on the popular courts youtube channel doing a let's play of pokemon shield New episodes of that are out every Friday, and you can find those videos and much, much more at youtube.com slash thepopularcourt. Thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week.